We are currently talking about temptation, and we began this journey last Sunday, and I had many of you guys uh, ask me a ton of questions in regards to what you heard, and uh, we can't answer all those questions in the next couple Sundays, but many of them I think we will address. First and foremost, temptation is something that we could all relate to, amen? Anybody not struggle with temptation at all, okay? Um, if you did not raise your hand, that means you struggle with the temptation to lie. And so we're glad that you're here today. We're glad that you're here today as we go through this sermon series. We're talking about temptation because it's one of those very relevant, pertinent, practical things that all of us could relate to. And one of the first questions that people asked last week is, Peter, are you going to talk about temptation, particularly as related to Satan, devils, and spiritual beings, and so on and so forth. I said, you know, I'm actually wanting to do that more when we actually talk about spiritual warfare. I want to talk about spiritual warfare sometime in the spring or summer. But what I did want to do this morning is is, is say a little bit about Satan and devils and so on and so forth. There are many of us who sit here who say, I have no problems believing in devils and Satans and spiritual beings. And there's some of us in here that say, I don't know. And you're a skeptic. By the way, if you're a skeptic or skeptical person, I love you and I love the fact that you're here. Because skeptical people make very good Christians if they would just bite. Because skeptical people are incredibly thoughtful people who think through things. So if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, you go, I don't know about this whole Satan devil thing as we talk about temptation. I just want to say a couple things. Uh, One is, here's why I believe in Satan and devil and spiritual beings. One, logically, what do I mean? If you believe that there's some sort of a God or spiritual being, it's transcendent, supernatural, personal good. I think it's logical to believe that there might be a transcendent, personal, supernatural evil. I think it's more illogical to say there transcendent supernatural good, but there's no such thing as transcendent supernatural evil. Secondly, the thing that I I personally wrestle with is when folks go, you know what? All that was behind the Holocaust was just Hitler. All that was behind racism and slavery in this country was economics. All that's behind a parent who starves their own children to death is just, well, they were just bad parents. They were parented in a poor way. Because when we remove transcendent supernatural evil out of these things, then the logical conclusion is that human beings, people in of themselves, are capable of that just on their own. I don't know. That's a little far-fetched. Third is that, uh, and this is maybe too simplistic for some of us, I believe it because Jesus believed it. Jesus assumed it. Jesus assumed in the existence of devil, Satan, and spiritual beings. And so it's hard for some of us who say, well, I like everything and agree with most things that Jesus said. But when it comes to devils, evils, and spiritual beings, I don't think so. As C.S. Lewis said, either we believe everything that he said or we believe none of the things that he said. I don't get to pick and choose. Satan is real. The devil is real. Spiritual beings are real. One of the things that makes this conversation very difficult is that as it comes to temptation, we talked about this last week, brief review, there's a lot more to temptation than what we think. There's always more at stake than what we think. 
In Matthew 4, and we're going to look at that passage, when Jesus is tempted, there was much more at stake than what was on the surface. What was at stake, you guys, was that if Jesus had succumbed to any of Satan's temptations, then he would no longer be sinless. And check this out. If Jesus was no longer sinless, then he would no longer be the sinless sacrifice for our sins. Jesus came to this earth so that we could have a relationship with God, the Father. And the reason why we could have that relationship with God, the Father, is because Jesus lived the life we should have lived, a perfect life, sinless. And he died the death that we should have died for our imperfect lives. And it's believing in that truth that Jesus lived the life we should have lived, a perfect life. And he died the death we should have lived on our behalf for our imperfect lives. That salvation comes. So what's at stake in Jesus' temptation? It's not just him turning stones into bread or him jumping off the temple's highest point and being caught and, 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 and worshiping and bowing down to Satan to have all the kings of the world. What's at stake is our salvation. Whew, that's big. Now, here's the thing. Many of us, though, when we think of temptation, we don't think that there's more at stake. We think it's about that. It's about that thing that I'm tempted to look at or that relationship or what I did last night or, or not being totally truthful and person of integrity in those business deals, so on and so forth. What's at stake is, is way more than that. But a lot of times Satan blinds us to these things. So we take it lightly. So, so if you're a Catholic, I, I'll just go see a priest. If you're a Christian, I'll just quote First John 2, 9. If I'm Calvinist, I couldn't help it anyway, you know. If I'm not anything, it was bad karma. I don't know. I don't know. We just don't take it seriously. But here's what's at stake in our temptation. First of all, our future is at stake. It's more than just that thing right there. It's not just an isolated incident. But our future is at stake. The image that comes to mind is when you're watching like a horror flick, you know, and you see that person going, and you know what's behind the bend, and you look over and go, no, don't open the door. Why? Because we know what happens when they open the door. But that person is blinded to what's beyond. A lot of times we are blind to the consequences that lie in the future for decisions that we make now. Satan blinds us to the consequences, both temporal and eternal. So we take temptation light. Secondly, what's at stake is our family. Look, some of us are sitting in here and we had our childhood ripped apart. Not because of temptation you face, but because temptations your parents face. Mom and dad grandparents, and as a result, feeling the effects of that today. But here's the third thing that's at stake, and this is what we're going to talk about today. What's at stake is our faith. Temptation is not just about self-control. That's a lot of belief that temptation is about self-control. I just couldn't control myself. Temptation is ultimately about this question, do I trust that my heavenly Father knows what I need cares about what I need and is able to provide for this need. That's what's at stake. Some of you will resonate with this. Most of the temptations that we face in our lives, it's about a need. It's a deep need. It's not just about sex and food and relationship. What's underneath all of that and all of our temptations is a need, a God-given need for things like significance, relationship, intimacy, affirmation. And temptation is essentially saying, God, I don't know if I could have these needs met in a legitimate, responsible way provided for my Heavenly Father. So I'm going to opt out to meet these needs in an illegitimate, irresponsible way. That's what's at stake. That's what's at stake. 
in all of our temptations. Open your Bibles. Let's go ahead and jump right into this text. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. And again, we begin with the baptism of Jesus because this is very much related to the temptation of Jesus. And we're going to see uh, more about this this week and next week. Verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. That's huge. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Everybody look up here, please. Remember we talked about this last week? We are not. Jesus is not tempted by God. He is tempted by the devil. 1 John 1, 5. Let me, let, 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 I see the scripture up there. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. James chapter 1, verse 3. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I'll tell you why this is important. Because there's some of us in here who blame God for our temptations. This is not a small, minor thing. There's a tendency in us to blame God for the temptation. And I tell you why that's important. Because the first process of overcoming temptation and having victory over temptation is to recognize that we don't blame God or others, but we own up to what it is that we're wrestling with. Okay? And you're going, why do we have a tendency that it is as old as Genesis chapter 3? God comes to Adam and says, what have you done? And what does Adam say? Well, the woman you gave me. Eve, what happened? Well, the sat- Satan, the snake, and the blame goes on and on and on. Listen, listen, listen. I'm going to say this pastorally. Our temptations, it's easy for us to go, well, if she just didn't make me so angry. Well, if you had the parents that I grew up with, well, I'm just predisposed to. And the list goes on and on and on. I'm not minimizing the struggles that you have because of the influences we've had, but the first step is to say, this is me. I take responsibility. Okay? Here's the thing, though, that's critical about this is that in the temptation of Jesus, both the temptation of Jesus and the testing of Jesus come together, don't they? So even though God does not tempt us towards evil and sin, there is a part in which Jesus is tested. And you go, does that happen in Scripture? Of course it does. Job. Do you remember Job? Satan comes to Job and says, Satan comes to God and says what? Job just follows you because you give him stuff. My translation. God says, he follows me because he's a man of integrity, he is righteous. Job says, I don't think so. I'm going to make him curse you. God says, 
You're going to do your thing within the bounds of what I allow you to do. But ultimately, he will be proven faithful and righteous. The thing about it, I love about Job, and I'll preach on Job later, is that God gives Satan just enough rope to hang himself. That's what happens in Job. It's a cool story. You remember Paul, Apostle Paul, another story of temptation testing? There's this thorn on the side that he talks about, right? Thorn on the side. It's relentless, tormenting him. And he says, it is from the messenger of Satan on one hand. But what does he also say? He says, God gave me this to humble me because of the revelations that I received. Testing, temptation. Practically, you know what this means? If you struggle loving somebody, if you struggle with love, genuine love for people, God may send some very difficult people to love into your life. If you struggle with envy and jealousy, you may sit next to in your company a superstar who will make you feel and look very small. Temptation. Testing. Let's see more. Verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God. I'm sorry for the review from last week, but I want to cover this. Is that okay? Is that okay? Because this is so important. Why does Satan refer to Jesus as the son of God and not the Messiah, not the Savior, not the anointed one, not the divine one? Why does Satan say, if you are, Jesus, the son of God? Because Jesus has just heard in Matthew 3 verse 17, what? This is my son Voice from heaven, this is my son. And immediately voice from hell, if you are the son. The very first temptation comes for Jesus to doubt his what? Identity. Identity. Temptation and the tempter often comes in going after your identity. And the thing that I love about this passage, the thing that I love in Matthew 3.17 is that the voice of God comes and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Question, can I ask you something? At this point in Matthew chapter 3, has Jesus raised anybody from the dead? Has Jesus healed the sick? Has Jesus turned water into wine? Has Jesus done anything teaching miraculous supernatural? The answer is no, no, no. Jesus hasn't performed. He hasn't achieved. He hasn't done anything. And yet the voice from heaven is what? This is my son in whom I am. Well, please. Why is Jesus pleasing to the father? Because he is what? He's the son. You know why this is so important? Because many of us in our temptations, and we'll talk about this, in our struggles, come because we doubt who the Bible keeps insisting we are. The reason why you're tempted by that, you want to go there, do that with that person, and long for those things, and do that in spring break, and wanting to do that next week, is because we keep doubting that we're better than that. We keep doubting that we are. Let me ask you something. Would you be tempted by that? Want to do that? Go there. Seek her out. Seek him out. Look at that. Do all those things. If you, in your heart of hearts, believe that you are claimed by God, that you are forgiven by God, that you are a beloved child of God, and that God declares you holy, righteous, and loved, would you? No, many of us, the reason why we struggle and the reason why we want to go there and do that is deep down inside. There is this longing. There's this longing to earn, to gain, to seek, to have something that the Bible insists over and over and over again. You have it. You have it. You have it. 
relationship. One destructive relationship after another, some of you. Why? Could it be because deep down inside you're going, will somebody just validate me? Will somebody just affirm me? Will somebody just... Why are you tempted to lie? Oh, because I want to save face. What's that all about? What's underneath your desire to save face? What's underneath that? Is it a longing, a search to gain, to accept, to receive something that the Bible keeps insisting over thousands of pages? You have it. You have it. You have it. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are is the question that we need to ask when it comes to our dealing with temptations. The other reason why this is important, Carlton, will you toss me the water, please? The, only, the other reason why this is important is this. Thank you very much. There's some of you in here who've fallen, who've made mistakes. And I know what Satan is doing because he's the same thing to me. He comes to you and goes, you're, you're a Christian. Yeah, right. Does anybody relate? You're a son of God. Son of God, don't do that. Daughter of God, daughter of God, don't do. What? You kidding me? That's, you think you're a Christian? Really? But I know what you did last night. I know what you did spring break. I know what you want to do later on tonight. I have a videotape of that from last weekend. Do you remember? You're a son of God. What does he do? Satan comes and his tactic is to use guilt and condemnation to tear you down. Some of you sitting here walking around just with a lot of guilt. Just a load of guilt. Do you know that your guilt has been canceled and paid for by Christ on the cross? Some of you could clap to that. And you're sitting there going, well, then why do I feel guilty? You feel guilty because you don't know and believe that your guilt has been paid for and canceled on the cross. And Satan wants you to walk around with guilt, condemnation, and go, woe is me. I'm just a sinner. You're just a sinner? Read the Bible. You are holy, righteous, beloved child of God. That's who you are. That's who you are. But as long as Satan has you going, I'm just a sinner, I'm just an alcoholic, I'm just an addict, I'm just a bum, I'm just a, I'm just a, you're going to live into the identity of what he wants you to think you are. Do you see why this is so important? God's declaration of you comes and says, God, I haven't done anything. I know. I haven't achieved anything. I know. I haven't performed anything. I know. I'm pleasing to you. You're pleasing to me. Why? you're my son you're my daughter is this good news see half of you don't believe that you just go nah son nah daughter of God yeah right and Satan comes to you and goes that's right that's how I want you to be we keep going Matthew chapter 3, verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 3. So if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know, most people think this is, most people think, when, when Jesus said that, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word, most people say something like, you know, Christians, you're supposed to read the Bible. How many of you heard that? You know, you're supposed to read the Bible, be devoted, do devotions, have regular scripture intake. That's what it means when Jesus says, man shouldn't live on above everywhere that comes from the mouth of God. 
But here's what's going on. Listen very carefully. Jesus sees the issue at hand. And Jesus sees that the issue is not, as Satan comes, can I or can't I turn the stone into bread to meet this physical need that I have? You know what the need is? The the, the issue is not self-control. The need and the issue is, do I trust my heavenly Father? The issue that Jesus is being asked is, does God know what you need, Jesus, better than you do? Is God intimately aware of your needs? Does God care about your needs? Is God able to meet your needs? The issue that Jesus is being confronted with is this. Are you going to take matters into your own hands and meet this need that you think you have? Or are you going to wait and trust on your heavenly Father? The reason why we know this, you go, where are you getting this from? Is that Jesus pulls this passage right out of Deuteronomy. We're going to look at that in a moment. Deuteronomy. Jesus goes way back to a time when the Israelites, after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, were freed. And they trek through the wilderness. Do you remember? Trek through the wilderness. And God miraculously feeds them. And here's the lesson they were learning. The lesson they were learning was this. God says, every morning you're going to get up, get out of your tents, and you're going to go pick up manna, bread from heaven. And God says to them, don't store it. Don't hog it. Because if you do, it's going to rot. The people, of course, don't listen. They store them like, oh, we might not have more tomorrow, so we're going to stop. And they wake up the next morning, it's rotting. Here's what God was teaching them. God was teaching them, the God who delivered you from Egypt after 400 years of slavery, is a God who is intimately aware of your everyday need. And to show you that I'm able to meet your everyday need and that you can trust me, I'm going to provide manna for you. I'm going to provide manna for you. To show you that I am God is not some theological category up there. To show you that God, this creator of the universe, this massive big God, is not detached from your little life, your five-second life, my five-second life. God is not detached from that, but God is intimately aware of what it is that we need. God says, to show you and to teach you, I'm going to provide manna. Now, they go into the promised land, and the book of Deuteronomy is God retelling the history of Israel through Moses. And here's what we find in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. He says, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. God says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and to test in order that what was in, in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Huge. I'm going to come back to that moment. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. Here's the Bible passage. Matthew 4, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And then he says, verse 4, your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Now, can you guys all stop here? Some of you never noticed that passage before. My guess is they probably didn't notice that. My guess is, as you were grumbling and complaining about manna, oh, I'm getting sick of this manna. My guess is, as water spewed from a rock to, to quench their thirst, my guess is that God was doing these amazing supernatural things. They never realized that God was also in their ordinary provision. My guess is they never looked at their clothes and said, oh, there's no clothes on our backs. My guess is they never looked at their shoes and said, oh, look at that, shoes on their feet. Do you know why this is important? 
how many of you guys actually had a heart attack? Anybody here have had a heart attack? Okay, nobody. That's good. That's good. That's a good thing. Because if you're somebody who has had a heart attack and you survived it, you're probably very grateful for the fact that you survived the heart attack. If you know somebody your age who had a heart attack and as a result died, or you outlived somebody in your life or in your family who died of a heart attack, you're probably grateful for the heart attacks you didn't have. But how often then are we grateful for, listen very carefully, for the heart attacks we didn't have, for the cars we didn't wreck, for our children who didn't get sick, for the home that didn't get foreclosed on, for the consequences of our sins that we didn't face. Are you with me? Do you know what happens? We get accustomed to our blessing. And just think that's the norm. Can I talk about it, Carlton? We think that's the norm. Can I give you an example of a guy that I knew? He and his wife, I'm going to get emotional here. He and his wife couldn't have kids. Miscarriage one after another, one after another. Tried everything. And then eventually God blessed him and he had four kids, four kids. Now, that's not the, oh, that's God, sorry. One day he and his wife were just walking on the streets, seeing their four children, laughing. And he said it dawned on him that there was a time when he and his wife wept with tears every night for a family that they couldn't have. But he had come to a place where watching his four children playfully play in a healthy way had become the norm. And he became accustomed to the blessing that came his way. Can I ask you a question? Have you gotten accustomed to the fact that your clothes haven't worn out and your feet didn't swell? How many of us take for granted the things that we think, well, of course it's the way it ought to be. I expect it. We expect it. We expect it. Psychologists and sociologists have a term for this. You know what it's called? It's called hedonistic adaptation. You know what that is? Hedonistic adaptation is that we become accustomed to whatever level of happiness we've achieved and then we crave whatever's not. That's why some of you aren't satisfied because you're making the money you've always wanted to make. You're not satisfied because you're living in the home that you've always wanted to live in. You're not satisfied because you have the family you've always prayed for. And we just expect these things to happen. Good Lord. This is the reason why I'm 41 years old and I'm thankful I have a wife who slaps me back into reality. There are times when I go, Jenny, I think I'm going to go through a midlife crisis. <laughs> you ever hear somebody talk like that? You ever hear somebody going through something and they're complaining about, oh, what I don't have, what I don't have, what I have. And everybody around them is looking at them going, are you serious? What you don't have? What more you want? What more you crave? And you're looking at them going, they don't see it. Of course they don't see it. We don't see it. Is this registering with anybody? You know what some of us need to go home today? We need to go home today and we need to make a list of all the ways in which our clothes didn't wear out and our feet didn't swell. 
We need to make a list of all the things that we just come to expect. Healthy children, I expected. I have a job. I expected. I have a roof over my head. I expected. I have food on the table. I expected. I don't face the consequences of my sin. I expected. We expected. Have we gotten accustomed to these blessings that are of God? You want to know how to battle temptation and be strong against temptation? I think one of the first things is looking around going, Everything that I have is because of grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Otherwise, we go, I'm entitled to this. Here's what I don't. And that was just supposed to be a side note. Oh, good Lord. Okay, verse 5. Verse 5, Deuteronomy 8. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. This is so huge, you guys. Moses has just talked about God causing the Israelites to hunger and then feeding them with manna. And he says, what that is is a test. It's loving discipline. You're going, how? Discipline? God says, yes, it's not punishment. It's not an accident. The same God will cause you to hunger, and the same God, loving God, will feed you with manna. Why? What's God teaching them? God's teaching them this. I want to feed you with what is infinitely better than what you would choose. And I say that again. Why does God cause me to hunger? Because God says, because I want to teach you. I'm a loving, wise God who wants to feed you with what's ultimately better than what you would choose. God comes and says, I know what you would choose. And what you and I choose will get hungrier and hungrier and hungrier and hungrier. And God says, I'm going to cause you to hunger, take you to seasons of want, and then feed you so that you will know I am the same God who not only feeds you, who not only cares of your needs, but I want to feed you and care for your need in a way that you're satisfied. Amazing. Jesus comes in Matthew 5 and Sermon on the Mount says what? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. For they will be what? Filled. You causing me to hunger, God? Causing me to want? Why am I? God says, so that I can teach you, that I can fill you with what is infinitely better than what you would choose. You know what the lesson is? I've said this to you guys many times before. We don't really know that God is all that we need until God is all that we have. Say it once more. You and I don't need. I'm hungry for that. I want that. I'm longing for that. We don't really need that God is all that we need until God is all that we have. Spiritual maturity and growth comes when you and I no longer just continue to go to God and say, I need this. I need this. I want this. I want this. But we go to God and say, God, you're all that I need. Some of you going through season of want. You're going, God, are you punishing me? He took your punishment on the cross. Is this an accident? God is a wise, sovereign, loving God. Why am I going through this? God is saying, I want to feed you with what is infinitely better than what you would choose. This isn't just theory, is it? <laughs> Keep going, verse 10. 
when you've eaten and are satisfied. Praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flock grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and my strength and my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Do you know why we struggle to trust God? That's the issue. Do you know why we struggle to trust God? Do you know why we fail and we fall for the illusion of self-provision? Do you know why we are opting for and tempted to go, if I don't, then it won't, so I will. If I don't, then he won't, so I will. If I don't, then she won't, so I will. Do you know why we do that? Because we sit around and go, it is my power and my strength that are provided for these. Some of you actually sit there and you believe this. You go, the reason why I'm successful, the reason why I have what I need and have what I want is because I worked really, really hard in high school to get into that college. And once I got into college, I worked even harder. I networked. And once I graduated, I worked my tail off researching and networking. And so therefore I am. And God comes around and goes, who gave you your brain and your mind to think? Who gave you the family that some of you were born into that literally set you on a path where you didn't have to struggle like some other people? How many of you were blessed to have a personality that's winsome that you can talk to certain people and they like you? How many of you have been given tools, gifts, and talents that paved the way for you and opened doors? And we sit around and go, my hands and my power. And God goes, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Temptation. If I won't, then it won't. Self-provision. If I won't, then he won't. Self-provision. If I won't, then she won't. Self-provision. Trust and finish this passage right here, verse 19. So if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed like the nations of the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Moses ends this passage and he literally says to them, if you fall for the illusion of self-provision, here's what will happen. When all your needs are met, and then all of a sudden, you lack for something. When all your needs are met, you lack for something. Then you're going to fall into the temptation to believe that it's up to you. You can't trust God. You're going to fall into the temptation to believe that it's up to you, that you can't look to God. You're going to fall into the temptation to say, if I don't make this happen, then it's not going to happen because the wealth of my hands. If you believe that you yourself are responsible for where you've been and fall into the illusion of self-provision, then you're going to forget. 
And you're going to be tempted to meet the legitimate need in a legitimate way. Let me just give you a very prelude. Some of you are tempted right now to cross a sexual boundary that you've committed to not crossing. Anybody relate to that? Some of us. You know what ultimately behind that is? It's not just, well, I'm horny. Well, I just want to have sex. What's behind that is this question. Does God know my longing for intimacy? Does God know my longing to deeply connect with somebody? Does God care about the fact that I have this longing for intimacy? I have this longing to deeply connect with somebody. And is God able to provide in such a way that I would have this deep longing met? That's the question. Do I trust God that he will provide for me? Or do I take it up on my hands and do what I need to do? Because waiting on God, it doesn't work for me. Church, are you hearing me? The question that's at hand is, do I trust? Why is this important? Here's the why it's important. If you don't trust God, then you won't obey God. And when you stop obeying God, you'll eventually stop believing in God. I say that once more. If you don't trust God, come on, this is common sense. If you do not trust God, why would you follow someone you don't trust? Why would you obey someone you don't trust? Why would you obey someone's word that you don't trust? We're back in the garden again. Satan comes and says, did God really say? What is he saying? Do you trust God's word? Well, I don't know. Well, if you don't trust God's word, then why stay under the authority of God's word? If you don't trust God's word, why stay under the authority of someone you don't trust? So therefore, go ahead. God won't. God can't. So go ahead and do it. I was just talking to somebody yesterday. She had been a Christian for 20-some years. 20-some years. Vital part of our church. Lovingly, we had coffee. And she said to me, I no longer believe in the whole Jesus thing. I still believe in God, Peter, but the whole Jesus died on the cross, rose again. I, 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 yeah. And as I was talking with Devin Coffee, I said to her, I said, can I ask you a question? She's like, yeah, of course, you're my pastor. I said, did you come to that conclusion because of some philosophical, theological, whoa, I don't think I believe in the existence of God. And she said, no. I said, what happened? Listen carefully. She said, two years ago, I realized just how angry I was at everything in life. I was angry at God. Angry at my family. Angry at everything around me. And Peter, I suppressed that anger forever. I suppressed that anger forever. And the way I outlet, I ate and ate and ate and ate. Outlet, I just went into destructive things, all these things. And then she said two years ago, I finally came to grips with being honest with myself. And I finally began to say, God, I'm angry at you. I don't deserve this life. I don't deserve this. When I was honest enough to face that, then all of a sudden, all the things that I thought I'd believed in my life began to unravel. And when those things began to unravel, I asked the question, do I really believe what I say I believe? So I said to her, I said, let me ask you a question. Fundamentally then, the beginning of this journey for you is, you looked at God and said, I don't think I trust you. 
I don't think you are who you say you are. And she was honest enough to say, yep. Some of you are sitting here today. I don't want to be simplistic, but the issue is, Peter, I don't trust him. And I'm telling you, if you don't trust that in his wisdom, he knows what you need, if you don't trust that in his love, he cares about what you need, and if you don't trust that in his power, he is able to meet your need, why would you obey his word? Why would you follow him? And when you stop obeying and stop following, eventually, one of these days, you'll come to a point of going, do I really believe this stuff? It begins with, is God who he says he is? Some of you sitting here this morning, and you're going, I grew up in church all my life, and I don't know if he's a good God. I don't know if he's a loving God. Not because of theological, philosophical argument, because you're going, if he's a good God and a loving God, why would this what? Happen. The funny thing is, that's exactly what's going on here, because Satan comes to Jesus, right? That's my impression of Satan, by the way, in case you're wondering <laughs> why he's continuing. Satan comes, what is he saying? He's going, Jesus, you're hungry. Yeah, I'm hungry. 40 days, yeah. Hunger. It's a form of suffering. Jesus, if your father loves you and you're his son, you're pleasing to him, why would you suffer? Why would he let you go hungry? That's right. If he loved me, why would I be going through this? Why am I hungry? Matter of fact, if he was good and I was his son, why are we having this conversation? Matter of here's what this sounds like for you. If God is good and God is loving, why am I still single? If God is good and God is loving, why does my mom have cancer? If God is good and God is loving, then why are my children sick? If God is good and God is loving, why am I not married yet? If God is good and God is loving, why can't we have kids yet? If God is good and God is loving, why am I not in the job yet? If God is good and God is loving, and the list goes on and on and on. And Satan comes and goes, so he can't be good. He can't be loving. Otherwise, why would you suffer? And you and I do what? We go, that's right. He couldn't be. Couldn't be. Then why would you listen to him? Why would you follow him? That's right. I don't trust him. I don't think he's good. I don't think he's loving. Why would I? And that's where some of you are today. I'm almost tempted to go, can you raise your hand if that's you? <laughs> I don't want to see a sea of hands. I'm like, oh, Lord. So I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Can we all say amen if you agree? Is this something you struggle with? Amen. Of course it is. Of course it is. Of course it is. This is the essence of where you and I find myself today. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Listen. Listen. If Jesus had turned stone into bread, it would have been an absolute assertion and a declaration. Not just, I'm able to do this. If Jesus had turned stone into bread, it would have been an assertion by Jesus that he knew better than the Father what he needed and when. And the temptation that you and I face today, again, I'm telling you, it's not about her, him. It's not about that. It's not about last night. It's not about spring. The thing that is facing us in all of our temptation underneath it is do. Does God know better than I do what I need and when I need it? And if your answer is yes, 
You are my heavenly father. You know what I need and when I need it. So I'm going to wait. I'm going to trust you. Or the other response is, you don't know what I need better than I do. You don't know when I need it better than I do. So therefore, I'm going to opt out to meet my needs in my time and the way I want it, where I want it. It's not about self-control. I'll be honest with you guys. Some of the decisions that I've made, some of the dumbest decisions I've made in my life, I made those decisions because I just couldn't wait on God any longer. Can anybody relate to that? I just, I, I'm done waiting on you, God. I'm done waiting on you. So you know what? I'm going to make bread for myself. Oh, yeah. I'm going to make bread for myself. And not much of a bread. It doesn't taste very good. It's hard as heck. A little too salty, a little burnt. Other people looking at me going, you really want that? Yes, I do. Because I'm really hungry right now. And the amazing thing, though, is many of us, three years later, we look at that and go, anybody relate? Anybody? (laughs) You got to recognize The issue is, do you believe that God wants to show up in that world, in your area, in a tangible, unmissable way, if you will let him? You guys, I'm telling you, it's not about her, him, spring break, financial gain, closing the deal, your reputation. It's not about that. What's at stake is your confidence and your trust in your heavenly father and his willingness to show up in your world. But you got to have faith to see. Do you know what this means? Real practically for God. That means your trust. That means some of you, you go home today and you don't call her back. Because the only reason why you wanted to call her back because you wanted to have that need met in an illegitimate, irresponsible way. Hello. That means for some of us, we throw away that phone number that that guy gave me. And that guy is the burnt toast. (laughs) That when you're sober and spiritually like sober, you look at it and go, oh, Remember what I said last week? When you're hungry, when you're hungry, when you're hungry, what? Everything on the menu looks good. Do you know what I mean? When you're hungry, everything on the menu looks good. Give, give me some of that. Are you sure you want to? Give me some of that. I'm so hungry right now. And your friends are going, you don't want to eat that. You don't want to touch that. It's burnt toast. <laughs> it's not fluffy Hawaiian bread. <laughs> oh, we're, we're going to eat today during communion. You know what some of you this means? Listen, listen. Some of you know what this means? This means literally for some of you, trust, this means, oh, this is hard, but I'm going to say it. Some of us, the issue isn't we lust after other people. For some of us, you know what the issue is? Listen very carefully. We enjoy being lusted after. Some of us, our issue is, that's our hunger. We enjoy being lusted after. What do I mean? We enjoy the attention, the flirtation, the, and you're married. You need to go home today. And you need to commit to saying, I am done with that. Some of us, you know what this means? This means we tell somebody the temptations that we've been struggling with. 
This means we tell somebody. We've never told anybody this. We say to them, this is what I struggle with, and I need you to know. Can I end with the gospel? How did Jesus overcome this? How was Jesus able to see the burnt toast and go, no? How was Jesus able to do that? Listen very carefully. And this will sort of unlock this for some of you guys. Listen, listen. When Jesus says, man shall not live on, a word, on bread, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you know what Jesus was thinking? Jesus wasn't thinking book of Psalms, book of Proverbs. I think what Jesus was thinking when he said every word that comes from the mouth of God, he's thinking about the word that what he just heard. And the word that he just heard as he comes out and his hair is still dripping wet, you know. The word that's in his ear, in his heart, that he just heard from the mouth of God is the word, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleasing. I don't know you personally, but I know this about you. You know what Satan knows about you? That deep down inside, you and I know we're not pleasing. Satan knows that deep down inside, there's a part of us where no, we're not pleasing. So we go, if I have that, then I'll be pleasing. If I can do that, then I'll be pleasing. If I can just have that, then I'll, Satan knows, Satan knows. Satan is very smart. He watches your behavior. He can't read your mind, but he watches your behavior. And he puts you in situations where you go, uh-uh, he doesn't struggle when he's alone. But man, when he's with those people, and you're going, I know I'm not pleasing until I'm with them. Deep down inside, all of us in here, we're messed up to one degree or another because we are saying, I'm afraid that I won't have her love. I'm afraid that I won't have their affection. I'm afraid that if I fail that, I'll be a miserable failure. I'm afraid that if I don't accomplish that, then my life will be meaningless. I'm afraid that if I don't do these things, that I will not be pleasing. And Satan knows that deep down inside, there's this part of us that says, I know I'm not pleasing, and so therefore I need to. What does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? Jesus says what? All of those things will not make me pleasing. This is what makes me pleasing. And what is this that makes Jesus pleasing? It's the word from his heavenly Father that says, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus battles the temptation, not with willpower, but with hard power as he comes to the word of God that has just been spoken over him saying, I am God's son, daughter, child in whom I am well pleased. These struggle for you and for me today and why we're tempted and why we're wanting to meet a legitimate need in a legitimate way is because we're looking at something and saying, that will make me pleasing. And I want to tell you truth. The truth is, if you want to be famous, there's no amount of fame that will ever satisfy your hunger for fame. If your temptation for financial success and financial security, there is no amount of money that will set you up where you'll go, I'm good, I'm good. There's no orgasm that will last a lifetime. There's no food that you will eat and never, ever hunger again from. Do you know this? The wealthiest man who ever lived, Solomon, gave himself to every pleasure, every pleasure man could ever want. You know what his conclusion was? Meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Your hunger and your desire will lead you towards the path of an unquenching thirst and hunger that will never be met. Eventually, slavery. Satan's got you wrapped around his little pinky and go, move. Woo. 
move. Uh, why? I'm not pleasing. Do you hear the Heavenly Father saying to you, you're pleasing to me? Do you hear it? Do you hear it, church? You have to be able to say in your own words, man does not live on dates alone. Man does not live on relationships alone. Man does not live on financial gain alone. Man does not live on marriage alone. Man does not live on relationships alone. Man doesn't live on any of these things alone. Man lives by the word of God that has just been spoken over me saying, you are my child in whom I am well pleased. Is this good news? Because you know what? You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to achieve anything because Jesus earned it, performed it, and achieved on your behalf. And God just declares it over you. Oh, church. I so long for you to know. I so long for you to know. That the depths of your temptation and your struggle, it's not self-control, but it is your trust in your heavenly father who looks at you and says, I am wise enough to know what you need. I love you unconditionally to care for what you need. And I am the Lord of the universe who is able to meet that need. So here's the question. What are you hungry for? What are you looking to say that will make me pleasing? That will make me pleasing. That right there, Peter. That right there. And Satan's got you wrapped around his ankle. Carlton, you coming up? Do you know why I'm always saying to you guys, the gospel of Jesus Christ says that when you come to him, he doesn't give you wealth, health, and prosperity. That the good news of the gospel is that he gives you gift of himself. Do you know why? I continue to say to you, the good news of the gospel is that God gives you these things and stuff, but God gives you himself. Do you know why that's good news? Because what you're saying, I'm not pleasing, I'm not pleasing. And so some of us, our search, our endless search is for beauty. We're going, if I just had beauty, I'll be okay. If you're God and you're the most loving person in the world and somebody comes to you with the hunger and thirst for beauty, if you're the most loving person in the world, would you not give them ultimate beauty? And what is ultimate beauty? It's Christ himself. So, uh, wisdom, I need wisdom. My search is for wisdom. Will somebody give me wisdom? I'm not pleasing until I know wisdom. And if you're the loving God and look at going, you're searching for wisdom. I love you so much that I'm going to give you ultimate wisdom. Really? What is that? Me. Ultimate beauty, ultimate wisdom, ultimate love. The good news of the gospel is he gives you the gift of is this good news? Is this good news? Can I get an amen? Amen. I want to end with this. Here's what Jesus says. Oh, this is so good news. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread 
comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Thank you.